Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Well, folks, Phil did it. 50 years, 11 months, and 7 days old, Phil Mickelson does the unbelievable and wins a major. Besting Julius Boros' win at age 48 in the same tournament at the PGA Championship back in 1968. It was as thrilling a major as I have watched since 1986. Could you have been more entertained on Sunday with a two-stroke swing right out of the gate in Brooks' favor on the first hole? Did you think that was it? Did you think Philly Boy was done and it was going to be all downhill from there? I didn't, and I'll tell you why. Remember that great showdown between Phil and Henrik Stenson at the Open Championship in 2016? Phil went into the final round with a one-stroke lead, but Stenson tied it up on two, took the lead on three. I didn't think Phil was going to let that happen a second time. A three-shot swing happens on two. Phil gets the lead back. A two-stroke swing back to a tie for the lead on the sixth hole, but Phil surges back and takes a four-stroke lead after ten. Five shots up after 11. It all comes all the way back, though, down to two strokes after 17. All happening in Granville style, hitting bombs off the tee and making ridiculously great short game saves along the way, like sinking that amazing shot from the Sandy area on five for a birdie. I think that was the key shot of the tournament. Phil never lets you relax when he's in the lead because you never know what he's going to do. When he had a four-stroke lead after 13, I was yelling at the TV and to his caddy slash brother, Tim, to take the driver out of the bag and either break it over his knee or throw it into the ocean. I wanted Phil to win so badly, I did not want a repeat of the 2006 U.S. Open where Phil pulled driver for no reason on 18 and then hit his ball into the hospitality tent. He uh, nearly did it again on Sunday on 18, landing his driver just a few feet short of the tents again. Fortunately, he drew a good lie because the fans had stamped down the grass in that area. He goes ahead and puts his second shot safely on the green. But we are all still sort of holding our breath because another two-stroke swing. Phil makes bogey, Brooks makes birdie, and we're in a playoff, which thankfully didn't happen. So huge congratulations and a world of thanks to Phil Mickelson for an all-time great win, a huge thrill, and an inspiration for all of us who are north of 50 years of age. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight I have a quartet of wonderful friends that I can't wait to share with you. One of the major topics, of course, of tonight's show is going to be around the PGA Championship, where the tournament ranks amongst the four majors. So where do, if you're looking at all four majors, where do you put the PGA Championship? We'll talk about that with everybody tonight. Where's Phil's win ranks amongst the all-time great tournament victories? And what impact Phil's victory is going to have on his place amongst the greatest players of all time? Like I say, I'll talk about that with all of my guests tonight. 
starting with Keith Jarvis. Keith is a lead instructor for the Golf Channel Academy. You can find several of his instructional videos uh, on GolfChannel.com. Tonight, we're going to get some tips for gaining distance off the tee, plus fix the dreaded shanks. I've had a couple of those lately, folks. And then hitting better bunker shots. Got to figure out that shot for my golf trip coming up with my uh, buddies in a couple of weeks. Keith will join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from Dr. Bob Jones the Fourth, And you guys know Doc has been a wonderful friend of the show for the last several years. We'll talk about his grandfather's playing career a little bit more. Plus, how to improve the mental part of our game. Really looking forward to having Doc as part of the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a return visit from former Golf Channel producer and now one of the best authors on the planet, and that's Keith Hirschland. I'll get Keith's thoughts, of course, on the PGA Championship. I'll talk to him about putting his producer's hat back on and talk about why so many of today's broadcasters make him want to hit the mute button. Keith will join me about 50 minutes from now. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from another great friend and top instructor, Brian Jacobs. Brian recently came back from a trip down to Bay Hill. We'll hear about that. Plus, we'll get more short game tips from him and, and how to adjust to the speed of greens when you go from playing your home course to a course like Bay Hill. Brian will join me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I are headed up there in a couple of weeks. It's finally getting closer. I cannot wait. The Macklemore is a beautiful community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com and check out what a wonderful golf course and other amenities they have for you up there. The new clubhouse and bar opened up last fall. Folks, you got to see this place to believe how great it is. The golf course is co-designed by our friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones and another friend in PGA Tour, Caddy Kip Henley, said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why all of them are saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf ball. High draw? Check. Low fade, check. Bump and run, out of the sand, flop shot, guess what? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them than them all, and that's a new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to tailormadegolf.com for more information. All right, now next on the tee with me is Keith Jarvis. Keith has been a teaching professional and had a playing career that spans almost 30 years. He's taught here in the U.S., plus over in Japan and Mexico. He was a lead instructor for ESPN's golf schools back in 2006 when Hank Haining was the dean of instruction. He's taken lessons from Hank and attended his Teach the Teacher sessions. He hosted a golf school here in Atlanta with Andy Plummer and Mike Bennett, who are the founders of the Stack and Tilt Swing. Keith was the head golf pro and director of instruction at the Heritage Golf Club here in Atlanta. He is now a Golf Channel Academy lead instructor up in New Jersey. He is also a certified U.S. kids coach, and I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend? Thanks for coming back on the show. Excited to be here. 
Keith, I want to start our time tonight. We got we to gotta start with the unbelievable PGA Championship. What did you think about what you saw on Sunday? Well, I'll tell you what. It was something else, you know. You just when you when you talk about the best players in the world in my opinion, I think what you have to realize is that you can never count them out. You just don't know what somebody has inside of them and what they can do, right? It's like you hear all this talk about all these guys that have these ambitions to play on the tour. And they have so many people around them that say, do you know how hard that is? Do you, do you know how many people make it out of a hunt, out of a million, out of a thousand, whatever? There's so many naysayers. But you take a guy like Mickelson or Tiger or, or, you know, any of the best players in the world, nobody knows what they can do at any given moment. Everybody counted Tiger out for a long time. He comes back and wins the Masters. Everybody thinks Mickelson, well, he's won a couple times on the Champions Tour, but, you know, he's too old to do any more than that. He likes to stay competitive and stay out there on the regular tour, but who would have ever thought? And I'll tell you what, it's a hard game, and you're on or you're not. And when you're not, it's even harder. And to see Mickelson just go in there and just dominate from day to day, whether you want to call it domination or not, (laughs) he was in the lead, so it was tough. I mean, you could see. The scores weren't high. Everybody was struggling. And I'll tell you what. The guys that aren't used to what Phil Mickelson is used to being a six-time major champion now, they're the ones that fell off, not Phil. This is amazing. So, Keith, where, where do you think this win ranked for you amongst the all-time great victories that, uh, that you've had an opportunity to either watch or read about? Well, I'll tell you, I've seen a lot in person, and, I, and I've obviously read a lot, and I, I love to follow the majors most of the time, honestly. Like, I blocked my calendar off on Friday, Saturday, Sunday for all the majors so I can stay home and watch them. This one, I didn't get to do that so much. But um, I would have to rank it really, really high considering, you know, he's the oldest major champion ever. So that just goes to show you what can be done, right? What can be done? It's a, You know what? I'm going through this. I, I hate, I'm going through this course with uh, Pia uh, and Lynn, Vision 54. And one of their big things is about the possibilities, man. What are the possibilities? You know? And evidently, he yeah, so, just thought. He thought it was a so possibility. So to that point, Keith. And he did it. Yeah. When you think now about possibilities, right? For, yeah. Whether it's in your own life, you know, or somebody else's life, or, you know, one of your students' lives, whatever, right? This this shows us, to your point, that anything's possible, right? We've seen, yeah. to your point earlier, we saw Tiger come back and win in 2019 at the Masters when it looked like his yeah. career was over. We see over. Phil pull this off. For those those yeah. folks that are my age and, and older, obviously the 86 yeah. Masters and Jack pulling that off. You go all the way back to 1950 and Ben Hogan after the accident and yeah. him coming back right. and, and doing what he did in his career. So we've seen yeah. through the game of golf that all kinds yeah. of things are possible. Do you take inspiration for what you just saw? And now take that you know, and put that apply, like I said, to your life or your teacher or your students' lives? There's no doubt about it because sometimes, like I said, there's so many naysayers around you. Like I'm 57 now. I just turned 57 in April. And it's like, um, is my playing career over for good or are there possibilities there? You know, and you look at, at what these guys do and it's like, you know, yeah, they're, they're younger than I am, but still it's like, can it be done? I mean, 
nobody, this, it goes back to what I said right off. Nobody knows what's inside somebody else and what they're capable of. Nobody knows somebody else's possibilities. Now, I've, I've always believed that, you know, if somebody tells you you can't do it, it's because they've probably already given up on their possibilities, right? They did whatever they had to do. They got married. They had the kids and they gave up on their dreams or whatever. And it's not even just about that. Maybe they had an awesome career where they made a lot of money. So they gave up on their dreams of doing what they really wanted to do. I read a Tim Ferriss book not too long ago called The Four Hour Workweek. And there was this lawyer that was, I think, in New York City that made a lot of money. And um, he gave it all up, moved to Brazil, started a surf school, and like, and then just marketed the surf school. So you come to Brazil, they pick you up from the airport, they take you to whatever your budget is, you know, whatever, based on your budget, where your hotel is, where you're going to stay. And um, they know the restaurants, they know the clubs, they know everywhere to go, and they know all the hot surf spots. And he gave it all up for that. I mean, at what point do we all just say, man, I really messed this up, you know? Is it still possible right. for me to move forward? I mean, can I do it now? I don't know. Exactly. I'm reading a that where it's just like, you just have to, you have to go for it. So let's take a little bit, a, a, de- a detour here. I, I want to get your yeah, thoughts on right. the on the four majors. Obviously, we just yeah. watched an incredible PGA Championship. But where does the PGA Championship, amongst the four majors, where does it rank for you? Well, um, <laughs> can I say in the top four? <laughs> I mean, you know, I know that's not fair, but um, I love each and every single one of them. If I had to pick one to win for myself, um, yeah. well, let's just say this. If I had to pick in order of the four, uh, what would I want to win? I would say the Masters, the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, and PGA. So maybe it ranks yeah. fourth, but, th- but it's not fair. It's not fair to rank it there. I mean, it's a major just like any of the others. So I think any win in any of those four is, is uh, and I'm not going to say the word un, because um, <laughs> I've recently watched, I watched a I watched a video not too long ago with Matthew McConaughey saying it's the stupidest word in the English language because nothing's unbelievable. It's only unbelievable if you think it's unbelievable or if you say it's unbelievable, right? It, was Phil Mickelson's championship unbelievable? No, he did it. It was it was incredible, right? So I don't know. That's my ranking, though. I would the reason I guess I say Masters is because I always wanted to see that and I moved to Georgia in 91 and went to my very first Masters ever and I think since 91 I've only missed seven or eight so even being up here for nine years I've been to the Masters several times um it's it's god I just it's just an unbelievable <laughs> it's just an incredible experience right just, I've been to all of them except the Open Championship and they're all incredible and watching so Keith that begs the, the question the Masters for me in Augusta National is my favorite place on the planet. It's my favorite yeah, tournament. Couldn't agree more with mine how too. you rank the tournaments, too. By the way, I'm, I would agree exactly in the same order that you, you put them. But now I got to ask you, at least the, for the first time that you went to Augusta National, what was it like for you? Did, was, 
Did it meet your expectations, exceed your expectations, and was it what you expected? It was more than I expected um, because I've just never been to a place like that before. And then you, you walk that back nine and you get back there on Amen Corner. It's the most incredible thing you've ever seen. And, you know, honestly, the times that I've been there recently, like, say, in the last five to ten years, we go on Wednesday for the par three. Everybody's more relaxed. And we get to do whatever we want. We do our shopping. We might go Thursday or we might go Friday, but we never go on the weekends anymore. It's just, it's just not my thing. It's too crowded, especially when you got a guy like Mickelson or Tiger or any of the big names in the lead. You just can't see anything. It's so much better to watch it at home, but I'm spoiled. I've been there so many times, you know, up here in New Jersey slash New York, they have so many major championships up here to go see. It's been incredible. Best page PGA, uh, U.S. Open at Ginny. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm spoiled, man. I've probably seen more major championships than most people, and it's it's a shame. <laughs> if, you, if you're a golfer, <laughs> good for you, my friend. Golfer, if you're a golfer and you've never been to a major, like it's a bucket list. You just and everybody says, well, how do you get into Augusta? It's got it so hard. Blah blah blah. And, you know, it can be hard, but I lived there for 25 years. So, and I worked at a private club and other clubs, and I always had people give me tickets. I learned later that you could go and buy tickets for the practice round from people there and people walking out. Like, if you've never been to Augusta National, go on a Monday. Go on a Tuesday. The best day, in my opinion, is go on Wednesday. And you can get tickets standing outside waiting for people to come out or other people that are selling tickets, you can get tickets to those days. And if you don't get on a plane and get your butt to Augusta National and you're a golfer, you're missing out. Keith, uh, based on what you just said and all the majors that you've been to, have you ever been down to the Ocean Course? Have you seen it before? I have been there. Yeah, I was down there for the Ryder Cup. Um, I've played there a few times. Um, a pers- One of my friends that I that I'm, I don't keep in touch with much is uh, – Director of Instruction, at least he was. Um, Carol Pressinger, I think you might have had her on before, right? So Carol's right. there, or at least she was there. I haven't talked to her in a while, so I don't know if she's still there. But she was there for a while, and um, it's a, it's a, it's a dream. I mean, <laughs> I, I always think that all these courses are kind of okay, and then like I took a, um, a team uh, to the Golf Channel Academy Pro Am to Whistling Straits. Brian Jacobs was up there, who you're going to have on later. And I'll tell you what, we flew in a day early. We went to play Aaron Hills, which everybody said, oh, don't play Aaron. It's not worth it, blah, blah, blah. It was the most incredible place I've ever been. You're just driving out Wisconsin into, like, Dairyland, and you turn down this dirt road, and you're thinking, am I really going the right way? And then you make this turn, and then you start to pull in there, and it's like, holy cow, places, like, in the middle of nowhere. And then... To top it all off, we go to we go back to the tournament uh, to where we were going to play the tournament at Whistling Straits. We played um, Straits Irish the first day, of, first practice round. Straits Irish. The doc that was with me uh, gets a hole in one on on Sleepy and uh, on the par three. And it's like it's just look, guys. If you're if you've never been to one of these courses, and it doesn't matter. It could be Pebble. It could be like, my dream right now is to go to Bandon. I've never been to Bandon. I really want to go. But if you've never been and you get a caddy and you really soak up the experience, 
like it'll change your life. I mean, it'll change your life. So you you said you were at the uh, at the Ocean Course for the for the Ryder Cup. What was the war yeah. at the shore like as a uh, spectator? Yeah. I'll tell you what. I mean, it's just you can't explain it, Chris. Honestly, it's like like nothing you've ever experienced. The the feeling that you get inside and 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 the chills and like what's going on and all this stuff. It's just incredible, man. It's incredible. And a lot of tournaments are like that. It doesn't have to be a major. Go to a PGA Tour tournament. Go to an LPGA tournament. Go to, you know, a corn fairy tournament. These ladies and gentlemen are the best of the best. And to watch them play and do what they do, it, it's a it's a life-changing experience. No matter how good you are. Keith, I want to change gears a little bit again and yeah. uh, get some playing lessons from you before we let you go. So. Um, one of the things that I know that I struggle with, and, and so do so many of us, is with distance off the tee now. And we see these guys yeah. bombing it, right? We saw Phil hit at 366, yeah. and we can only dream of, of something like know. that. But a lot of us would say, boy, if I could get another 10 or 15, how much different would that make you know, my golf game and the enjoyment of the game for me? Maybe I hit one less club. Maybe I could score a little bit better. But the, the enemy of distance is spin. So talk about ball position for our driver because I think so many of us may have it a little too far back in the stand. Maybe we're hitting down on the ball, which causes spin, a loss of distance. How can we fix that? So what I would say is in order, you need to get the ball in a position that's closer to the lead shoulder, right? Because the shoulder, the lead shoulder is the top of the radius of the arc. And directly below that, when your arm and shaft are in a straight line, would be the bottom of the radius of the arc. So we hit down on everything except driver. You could look at Trackman Tour. Even the even Trackman Tour averages, those guys hit 1.3 down on a driver, okay? But their average speed is 113. So if you're under 100, you need to hit up to help take the spin off. But what I would say is, number one, you got to play the ball more forward in your stance. Like, I line it up off my front foot, and then I flare my foot out, so it's kind of in the instep. But if you dropped a club from my shoulder, you'd see it's, like, really close to my shoulder, which what you have to remember is the geometry, right? You read all the stuff, oh, play it inside your heel, do this, do that. If you're hitting down on the ball and you're not over 100 miles an hour, you're, you're losing power. So, number one, I would say get the ball off your shoulder so it's close to zero when you're at the bottom of the arc. Number two. And I know everybody fights me on this, but I've done a lot of research on this. And I shot this video in Golf Channel Studio, and everybody's like, what the hell? See it lower? I'm like, yes, see it lower. And the reason why is because most golfers can't hit it in the center of the face. They got it so teed up, they're hanging back, they're doing all this stuff, and they have a really hard time being consistent, like striking it consistently in the center. If you want more distance, you don't do anything else. You need to get the smash factor up, which is what we look at on TrackMan. That's the fastest way to hit the ball farther is to get your smash up. And if you don't have your smash up or you can't get it up, you know, then the third thing I would say would be to make sure you get fit, you know. And I don't know if you mind if I say, but Club Champion one of the best companies in the world when it comes to custom club fitting. Every student I have, I refer there. Every student, um, you know, comes back. 20, 25 yards, sometimes more off the tee 
not even talking about irons, right? I do the best I can, and if I can't get them close to the smash, and I send them to club champions, they build clubs differently than most people. There's something about the way they build them. It's not overall weight, but it's swing weight. So they make swing weights a little heavier so you can get down to the ball and get that smash factor up. I can get everybody close. I know enough about mechanics to try to help somebody become a better golfer when it comes to hitting it more solid. But there's times where they're maybe, let's say, drivers. They're 40. They're in the 40s, 41, 42, 43, one occasionally 46, 45, but, but just not getting 48 the way they need to. They go for a driver fitting, and they hit their driver, and then Club Champion builds them a driver on the fly to um, show them what they can do. There's nothing like it. driver I got from them is the best driver I've ever had, and I'm 57. And I've been to the oven. I've been down to Callaway. I've been um, to the Kingdom. Uh, I, I can't even tell you how many places. It's the best driver I've ever had. So a couple of clarifying points there. You, you yeah. keep mentioning Smash Factor. For those folks that are going, how do I, what is Smash and how do I make it better? Talk about, so uh, Smash, give us the definition of what it means. So Smash Factor is an algorithm between club head speed and ball speed. They divide the club head speed into the ball speed, and that gives you the number. And there's a tour average for every club. And the most important thing to understand is it's not about speed, it's about technique. It's hitting the ball first and then the ground with with wedge through three wood and then otherwise it's hitting it in the center of the club face. So one of the things you can do is go out and get a bottle of uh, Dr. Scholl's foot powder, spray it on the face of your iron, your driver, and see where you're hitting it. And if you're not hitting it in the center, you better find somebody that can help you do that fast because you're killing yourself if you don't. So centered contact will give you a better smash, but it really has more to do with ball first contact and then the divot. If you look at the best players in the world, because the club swings in an arc, they're hitting the ball first and then taking the divot. So if you can learn to do that and learn to do that as fast as possible, like I call that the number one differentiator between good players and players that aren't as good. So if you want to be a better player, you better learn to crush the ball. Like, that's way more important than anything else. I get so many people that come to see me, and they're like, well, what about my grip? I'm like, dude, you're crushing it. Like, it's good. You know, don't worry about it. If there's something that needs to be adjusted, I'll adjust it. But people come in with so many questions. I'm like, I want to take what you have and make you the best golfer I can make you. Right? So as fast as possible. And that and number one is always about the divot. Always. Keith, one more before I let you go. And, and one of the dreaded things that has crept its way into my game is the shank. A couple of times, you know, I swing and all of a sudden I'm hitting the ball on the housel. The ball shoots straight to the right. You've got a drill that can help fix that. Talk about that. So I do. And what I would say is I, as I think it's a very misunderstood concept. And what I would say is if you're a righty, you're going to notice that you're closing the face starting to hit the ball to the left too much before the shanks kick in. And that's because when you're starting to close the face too early, it's kicking the club head out over the plane. And almost everything I've ever seen about shanks, the club face is closed. You're trapping it against the neck, and the neck's what kicks it out to the right. So the very first thing I would do is, number one, 
make sure the, the lead arm stays closer to the chest than the backswing so the club goes more around and gets deeper behind you. That'll help you with a more in-to-out or a straighter path. And the other thing is you want to feel like you're holding the face open. So a lot of times I'll take my impact bag and I'll set it up kind of in-to-out, right? And I'll set the ball really close and I'll say, look, you want to come down here and miss the bag. If you set an impact bag down, I have kind of a triangular one, so it sits at an angle. And it, and I guarantee you, a shanker is going to hit the bag way behind the ball because that's where they're getting over the plane, hitting it in the neck. But I would say this, a closing club face is always going to make you shank faster than an open club face. So set the set, get get a get a club box, a club uh you know, a golf club box, set it inside out and leave the majority of it on the backside. And you'll see, you'll bash into that club box behind the ball way more than you're going to bash into it in front of the ball. So in to out, open club face, gets rid of the shank quickly. I just had a lefty in here, longtime student, got into the shank. We fixed it in a half hour. Wow. On a big Well, Keith, before I let you go, let yep. our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and, and see <laughs> your website, how you, what's, what's going on on social media, and then watch your videos as well? Yeah, so everything is Keith Jarvis Golf. So the website, KeithJarvisGolf.com. My Twitter and Instagram are Keith Jarvis Golf. Um, my videos, if you just search Keith Jarvis Golf, Golf Channel, you'll see all my videos there. And, um, my email is Keith at KeithJarvisGolf.com. That's the fastest way to see what's going on with me. We do, we're do. we coaching a lot of people online right now through V1. Um, I got a profile on V1. So send a video. I'll take a look. I'll tell you what I think, you know, and we'll make it happen. Keith, you're fantastic, my friend. I always have a good yeah, time you. when you're a part of the show. You make this segment so much fun. Thanks for coming back and joining me tonight. You are more fantastic, and I'm so grateful to be here, Chris. Thank you. You're the best, my friend. Take care. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Have a wonderful night. Tell uh, Brian Jacobs I said hello. I will do it. Take care, Keith. Thanks, man. That's a great Keith Jarvis. KeithJarvisGolf.com is the website, and at Keith Jarvis Golf on social media. The guy is full of energy. He's got a lot of great videos that you can find on Golf Channel Academy. And then... uh Every time he comes on the show, he fills it with energy, and I love that so much about Keith. Everything's positive. He's always kind of half uh, the glass is always half full, and just like you heard at the top, right? Possibilities. What's possible? Anything's possible. We've seen it so many times in the game of golf. It's a positive experience when you go play with your friends. You get outside and you get to enjoy the outdoors. It's always great to be outside. But on top of that, we see so many things they can be done with this game. It's absolutely the best game out there. And I thank so Keith so much for coming on and giving us more examples of that. All right, before I get to my next guest, Dr. Bob Jones, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. 
It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before. Changing your game. Zexio clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador MB Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did so using Zexio 11 Woods and 10 Irons. See how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now back in making his eighth appearance with me here on Next on the T is Dr. Bob Jones IV. And yes, Doc is the grandson of Bobby Jones. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state near the New York state line. He now lives just northeast of Atlanta. Doc has a bachelor's degree in English literature, his master's in divinity, and a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's now working as a sports psychologist, Doc not only has been a wonderful guest on the show over the years, but also a great supporter of me and the show, which I cannot thank him enough for. He's a wonderful human being, and I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Doc, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, you know, I really am, although I must say I came very close to not making my eighth appearance because as soon as I called in, the very first thing I heard you say was you're struggling with the shanks. And I thought, oh, <laughs> boy, <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> but yeah, you don't I want thought, to give me any part of that. Yeah, don't touch me with that. No. I get it. I understand. <laughs> so, but then I thought, you know, you've been such a good friend for so long. I just couldn't do it. So there you go. So here I am. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. Here I am. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. <laughs> Doc, I want to start our time tonight by getting your thoughts on uh, on what you saw over the weekend from Phil at the PGA Championship. My buddies and I were, you know, thrilled because we love Phil, and uh, we're also excited because someone in our age bracket achieved what he did. What were your thoughts? I thought it was an absolutely spectacular thing. And, you know, uh, in addition to seeing this really mature Phil Mickelson, somebody that uh, has Basically, even though he's older, he has main, you know, he's actually gained distance. He's a better, even better ball striker than ever. 
But look at how he mentally handled himself throughout that entire tournament. And even more to the point, the thing that really struck me is, as well-focused as he was, did you notice as he's walking by all the fans who are going crazy, he's giving thumbs up. He's waving at people. He's really connecting. I mean, you know, that's the thing that I think makes Phil Mickelson so incredibly unique, and that is he can give the fans the sense that not only are they watching a great golfer, but he can look at a crowd and everybody feels like he's looking directly at them and connecting with them. The only person I've ever seen like that, to be honest, is uh, Arnold Palmer, who had that same ability. So I thought it was really great. To that point, Doc, is that something that's missing from a lot of the players out on the PGA Tour? I mean, I think we're we're sort of hungry or dying for someone with a personality that wants to connect with us and all of those sorts of things that does, like you said, interact with the fans and kind of as Phil gives the thumbs up, right? Somebody that acknowledges yeah. not just the sort of the polite little wave that we get when a guy makes a birdie or something like that, but we want someone that really embraces the fans and we can kind of get into. And I just feel like we're missing that a little bit. Well, I think we are, but you know, I think that's been the case that's tended to be the case. I should say with golf actually for some time. I mean, we've had really outstanding players in history. Um, you know, my grandfather certainly moved the needle uh, in that direction. Palmer certainly did. Uh, Phil certainly does. Uh, but, you know, but look at how many great players there are who never really did move the personality needle. I mean, nobody ever referred to Ben Hogan as Mr. Warmth and Good Cheer. And yet he's one of the greatest players in history. Walter Hagen certainly had charisma, but yet He's not remembered in quite the same way as my grandfather was. Byron Nelson was one of the greatest gentlemen ever to play the game, but he also, that didn't really come across when he was playing in competition. So, I mean, I think that's always kind of been a tendency in the game of golf. Um, I think golf tends to attract a more introverted person by nature. And so when you get somebody who comes along who really gets energized by people, uh, like Arnold, like Phil, uh, then I think, um, I think, I think it just, it creates a connection. It would be nice to see it more, but I think, uh, the kind of person that would be temperamentally inclined in that direction, uh, very rarely plays golf. Doc, we, you know, we as sports fans have become really prisoners of the moment. Everything that's happening right now in people's minds is way bigger, way better than anything that happened before back in history. Today's players are better. What they achieved is greater. And and I like to remind people, particularly golf fans, you know, that Jack Nicklaus, Gary Player, your grandfather, you mentioned Hogan, Sam Snead, those guys did equally or sometimes better things than what we're seeing from the turn, you know, guys playing tournaments now. The most important player in the game's history is very arguably the most important person in the game history I think it's your grandfather because not only did he win 13 majors from 1923 to 1930, oh, by the way, and al almost half the majors for what he won. But if it wasn't for your grandfather, there'd be no Masters tournament. Maybe the amateur tournaments would have remained majors. Maybe not. Maybe the Players' Championship would have become a major, but that's only been around since 1974. So when you think about, you know, majors and the importance to the game, 
I mean, think of Arnold Palmer maybe only wins three majors because there's no Masters. Jack Nicklaus doesn't have 18. Tiger Woods doesn't have 15. The whole landscape of the game would be different if it wasn't for your grandfather, but I don't think enough people recognize that. Well, you know, and I think you're right. I think you said it uh, correctly. I mean, I think, you know, right now we live in a 4K UHD world. And anything that wasn't shot in 4K UHD, it, it didn't really happen. So, you know, it's kind of like getting, uh, it's kind of like when I was, uh, when I was younger and I was trying to get my daughter Melanie to uh, sit down and watch a Charlie Chan movie. And she was like, well, I don't know if I want to watch that. It was in black, it's in black and white. And then she did and she absolutely loved it. But, you know, there's always, there's a tendency that we have in psychology to always believe in this thing. It's like a recency effect. You know, we always remember either the first thing we've heard uh, or the last thing we've heard, and uh, which is primacy and recency is what we call it. And I think that is also the way we are now. It's like what we're seeing is the best that has ever been. But, I mean, like, look at it this way. Tom Brady has got, what, six? Super Bowl rings now or something? Seven? I don't know. He's got seven, almost yeah. as more. Yeah, seven rings. And yet, is he a better quarterback than Sammy Ball? Is he a better quarterback than Sid Luckman? Is he a better quarterback than Bart Starr? Is he a better quarterback than, you know, how do you judge it? You really can't because those guys played in different eras. And, uh, and it's the same in golf. My grandfather used to get asked this question all the time. And he used to always say this, all you can do is beat the people who are around when you're around. And then other than that, uh, the rest is kind of up to history. And, you know, like, I'll go one better on that. I was having lunch today with a gentleman, uh, John Elliott, who is uh, on the board of the board emeritus for the Western Golf Association. And he was an Evans scholar. And do you know, it really boggled my mind. I totally had forgotten that Chick Evans was the first person to win the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Open in the same year in 1916. And that Chick Evans defeated Francis Wiemann to win the uh, U.S. Amateur again in 1920. Now, this is an incredible accomplishment. And yet, if you were to ask most golfers nowadays, who is Chick Evans? Most of them would have no earthly idea unless they're history nuts like me. If you were to ask the uh, average golf fan today, who are the men that have won four United States Open? They could probably get Jack Nicklaus. They could probably get Ben Hogan. Probably get my grandfather. But how many people would say Tiger Woods when in fact, the only other person to win four U.S. Opens was a guy named Willie Anderson back at the beginning of the 20th century. Was Willie Anderson um, a less competent player than, say, my grandfather? Who knows? He won four U.S. Opens. So I, I guess what we can do is just, you know, we have to admire the legacy of the people that are around now. For those of us who remember or who know, we celebrate the legacy of all those who came before, and we just have to understand that that's just how human beings' minds run. So, yeah, uh, that, I hope that's not that's slightly cynical, but it's true. Indeed. So, and, and Doc, you know, as crazy as the scenes have been when Tiger won 
the Masters at 19 and what we saw, you know, surrounding the 18th green when, when Phil's making his way up there and the crowd's going crazy and all that sort of thing. When your grandfather came back from winning the Open Championship in 1926 and then again from winning both the British Amateur and the Amateur and the Open Championship, I should say, in 1930, you get the ticker tape parade both times in New York City. Yes. Talk about the, yes. you know, what that must have been like. Well, Did you ever talk about those experiences? Well, no, he never did. He wrote about him occasionally, and his favorite story about it though, was kind of interesting. Um, now, think about this. Uh, he is the only golfer in history to have had two ticker tape parades. There are other people that have had two ticker tape parades, John Glenn being one. So, I mean, you have to orbit the Earth at least three times if you're not Bobby Jones <laughs> to get a ticker tape parade. But, uh, but here's the funniest part. He, he always liked to tell the story after the parade was over, where he was standing out on the street corner uh, having a cigarette, and uh, there was a policeman uh, just standing right next to him. And Bub used to say, that's what we called him, Bub used to say he was smoking a cigarette, and he turned to the policeman and he said, so, officer, what's all the fuss about? And... <laughs> The cop didn't even look at him. He just went, oh, it's just a parade for some damn golfer. Not realizing <laughs> that the damn golfer was standing right beside him. Now, let's say that had happened just, say, a few years ago. And it was Tiger Woods. And Tiger, and that same conversation happened. Do you think that the policeman would not have known who Tiger Woods was? Right. Yeah. But Bobby Jones yeah. lived in the day before the 24-hour news and sports cycle. Bobby Jones didn't have every single thing he did analyzed to death on Golf Channel and ESPN. Uh, in fact, it wasn't until the movies about him came out with uh, the, the instructional film. It wasn't until those came out that people even ever got a chance to really see him swing. So, you know, uh, he lived at a totally different time. But, but, but having those two ticker tape parades, that was, uh, I mean, it was a great honor. I mean, he treasured the key to New York City. Um, you know, even Mayor Jimmy Walker, who uh, was mayor of New York at the time, has the distinction of being one of the most corrupt mayors in American history, which is saying something when you think about it. Mayor Walker even <laughs> said, he said, it could neither be foreseen nor known that the events of today would bring about uh, this strange meeting, whereas the world's greatest golfer would be introduced by the world's worst golfer. So um, it, that was; those were the kinds of stories that he liked to say, to tell. But uh, in terms of tooting his own horn, he just wasn't all that good at. Doc, I know what a great golf historian you are. You just mentioned some of the things here a moment ago. Sam Snead's another guy that I don't think gets enough credit for how great a player he was, and and for as long as he was a great player. I mean, he made a cut in a PGA Tour event when he was 67, finished tied for third in the 74 PGA Championship at 62, and we all we all know, right. you know, for for my generation, the most that we got to see Sam was really as the you know, honorary starter at uh, the Masters for all of those years. But uh, I'm imagining he's somebody your grandfather saw often and, and got to know pretty well. Did he ever talk about Sam? 
Well, they, let's put it this way: they they were not uh, they they were not the best of friends. Uh, <laughs> Sam had a sort of a different approach uh, to life than my grandfather did. <laughs> and uh, in fact, somebody <laughs> once, if I can, uh, I mean, I realize this is on blog talk, so I'll try to keep it reasonably clean. One time somebody said to my grandfather, they said, Bob, I heard you wouldn't go to the bathroom on Sam Sneed if he were on fire. And my grandfather said, that is absolutely not true. I certainly would. And which sort of summarizes their relationship a little bit. But my grandfather did believe that Sam Sneed had to have the absolute greatest natural athletic talent and greatest golf swing um, that he had ever seen with anyone, with the possible exception uh, of, um, with, with the possible, well, no, he, as far as men golfers go, he never saw anybody that was a better swinger of the golf club than Sam Snead. It was an effortless power. Uh, and, and in many ways, Snead's swing was very similar to my grandfather. That's right. So, yeah, he was, he was, he was, and in fact, I think Sam Snead still holds the record, uh, not just for the oldest cut made, but wasn't he like well into his 50s when he won um, his last PGA tour, tour title? Yeah, in Greensboro. Yeah, he was. He was 52 and, uh, you know, however many months old. But yeah, when he won at Greens, uh, at, uh, the Great Greensboro Open. So yeah, that's absolutely right. he was. Yeah, that's, oh, he was incredible. I mean, the only, the only blemish, uh, on his entire tournament career was a failure to win the United States Open. Other that's than right. that, I mean, good Lord, he won just about anything you could win. That's right. So. Yeah, Chuck, he's a great player. Chuck, I want to switch gears a little bit with you. Um, yeah, I want to get your thoughts as a sports psychologist on, on, on some of the things that we, we that we did see from Phil on Saturday and Sunday. He talked about his struggle at times to remain focused this year. Right? I mean, he's, he talked about you know playing longer, trying to play twenty seven holes and stuff like that, so that he could train his mind and his body to be sharp longer. We saw him trying to slow his breathing down a lot during the final round. We saw him trying to stay calm. Um, talk about that. What What are some things for for all? I mean, obviously, ninety nine point nine percent of us are never going to be in the position that Phil's been in, but we are going to be in a position where we're trying to win a club championship, a member guest tournament, or just on the on the weekend with our buddies. We're we're trying to win, and some of us tend to get nervous. How can we slow ourselves down? And kind of control those nerves. Well, I think the first thing you need to that, that when you're in a situation like that, any type of type of situation that is uh, energizing like that, uh, I think there are a couple of things that need to be done. First is people have to learn how to breathe and to breathe properly. And and most people don't know how to do that. Like if I ask most people how to take a deep breath, they would expand their chest. And the problem when you expand your chest is you tighten the diaphragm. And the diaphragm then doesn't allow the lungs to get all the air in them they need. And so you have to learn how to breathe from your stomach, where if you were to put a book on your stomach and then inhale, you would see the book rise. And when you exhale, you would see the book lower. And that's the first thing. And that's relative, a relatively easy thing to learn to do. Um, and, and once you've learned how to do that, then learning how to breathe 
slowly and easily and rhythmically becomes much, much easier. But the second thing I think that is helpful is people have to understand that when your activation level goes up, you want to pay really close attention to the muscles right around your mouth because those are where tension first enters into the body. And once they enter in there, then they go down to the neck and down the shoulders, and the next thing you know, your swing is out of rhythm. So pay nice attention to keep those muscles nice and relaxed. So you're breathing well, the muscles on your face are relaxed, and then the second thing to do is this. If you're walking, slow down. Go into a nice, easy, smooth pace. Because the tendency is always when you get energized to speed up. So you want to, so you want to monitor your breathing. Make sure you're breathing correctly. Make sure the smooth muscles are right around your, right around your mouth are staying nice and relaxed. And then slow down your personal tempo. Um, one little thing that I oftentimes will have people do, especially juniors that I work with who are really, really get really energized is I tell them, if you're carrying your clubs and not using a trolley, if you're carrying your clubs, put your clubs down so gently that you can't even hear the irons clink together when it gets to the ground. In other words, you want to do everything you can just to really slow your pace. Because technically, if you really pay attention, you really aren't slowing your pace. You're just staying at your previous pace and not getting energized. But those would be three non-cognitive, just behavioral, actual things you could do right now that would improve your performance. Doc, I got to get some other advice from you, really, about the golf course, because I'm headed up to the Macklemore in a couple of weeks with my uh, with my buddies for our annual golf trip, and I know you've played the course, so I'm sure they're not listening. So give me some insider tip about what I should be looking <laughs> I one, for. Where I got Go one ahead. big insider tip for you. When you know, uh, when you get to 18, hit it right. <laughs> Aim right left. and hit it right. <laughs> Don't go left. Hit it right. Hit it to the right. That's right. You got tons of room out there to the right. Tons of room to the right. <laughs> you don't have much room on the left. In fact. You go left, and it's a long way down. Uh, you know, the other thing I, I would tell you is, if you're going up to play at Macklemore, just have a great time. It is, we, I, I, I'm sure you've played it by now. It's wonderful. So, it'll be, it'll be 18, it'll be 17 great holes of golf, and then 18, which is breathtaking. Doc, before I let you go, let our listeners know again, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Oh, well, I, uh, social media, I only do personally. I don't do professionally. Uh, but they can always reach me at uh, BIA1, that's Bravo India Alpha number one dot com. That's my, uh, that's the Behavioral Institute of Atlanta where I practice here. And then they can also find me on my personal webpage at drrobertjones.com. And uh, that's how they can, anybody can get a hold of me from there. Um, and uh, I will look forward to talking to anyone. Well, Doc, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're always such a joy to have as not only on this show, but 
just to have as a, as a part of my life. You have meant a great deal to me over the years. Uh, your spirituality and the things that uh, that you bring that have nothing to do with golf have uh, inspired me for a number of years. I can't thank you enough for sharing that and uh, sharing this time with me tonight. Thank you, my friend. You take care of yourself, and we'll talk soon. All right. Stay safe, Doc. All the best to you and your family. That's the great Bob Jones the Fourth, Dr. Bob Jones the Fourth, and Dr. Robert T. Jones dot com being the website. Um, Doc is a is a very special person in my life. Uh, he has been a great guest and shared great stories on this show for a number of years now. Uh, he has been supportive completely off the air and just my uh, my normal life. Uh, and uh, and then from a spiritual perspective. There's a lot of work, and he's uh, really good friends with a with a wonderful guy named Scott Lehman, who's uh, been on this show, and uh, Scott does a great job of mixing golf and spirituality as well. Uh, and there's a wonderful uh, video out on YouTube of Scott and Doc taking a walk out, uh, and I think it was at, at Atlanta Athletic Club uh, where they're walking. I'd have to go back and check that, but a wonderful, wonderful video of those two in an interview that uh, that Doc did with Scott that. It's inspirational that I go back and uh, and listen to from time to time. Doc's a great man and really look forward to having him back on the show again real soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Keith Herson, I want to give a shout out to a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing fin cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip. MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance, with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now back, and I'm honored to say this, for a ninth time with me here on Next on the Tee is my all-time favorite author, and one of my favorite individuals, period, and that's Keith Hirschland. Keith is a wonderful friend. He's been a great supporter of the show, which I'm very thankful for. He is an Emmy Award-winning TV producer. He has produced shows for ESPN, ESPN2, and the Golf Channel. In fact, Keith was among the original people that started the Golf Channel back in 1995. He's written four wonderful books, the first being titled Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In, Tales of the Tube from a Broadcast Brat, which is my all-time favorite book. He's also written three other wonderful books, Big Flies, The Flower Girl Murder, and his latest is titled Murphy Murphy in the Case of Serious Crisis, which, oh, by the way, was named Book of the Year by Book Talk Radio Club. I hear there's a fifth book coming out, which I can't wait to read, and I'm honored to have Keith back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend? Thanks for coming back on the show. 
Uh, I'm doing great, Chris, and I just I can't thank you enough. I, I can, first of all, I can't believe it's been nine. This is the ninth time. It always feels like the first time when I talk to you, but uh, I'm always so thrilled when I get a message from you asking uh, asking me to be on your show because it's always such a pleasure, and I enjoy I enjoy our time together. I appreciate that very much, as do I, my friend. So, Keith, um, you know, one of the obviously major topics of the night is the PGA Championship for drama. I'm not sure how much better the final round could have been. What were your thoughts about what you were watching? Well, I, it was it was amazing and it was crazy, and and I kind of had, you know, I I can't watch uh, I can't watch sports on television and specifically golf on television as just just a viewer, just a fan. I, um, you know, I was involved in the production of, of golf for so long, you know, almost 25, more than 25 years. And, and so I, you know, I always, I'm not a lot of fun to watch a golf tournament with, uh, <laughs> as my wife will attest. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I watched, uh, I watched it with, you know, I try to watch it with these several hats on, you know, the fan, the viewer, you know, a, a lover of the game and then also as a person that's been in the truck before and I you know and I can never separate those things um completely. So I love the drama of it. I love the story. I was shocked that Kepka played those par fives so poorly and you know that that back and forth in the first six or seven holes where there were two and three shot swings and you know it was crazy uh just you know trying to think about what it would have been like inside the truck. And then I also, you know, sat there also saying to myself, you know, why aren't they showing, like, where's Cantlay? He's only, he's three under. He's still in this. Why aren't they showing more of this player? Why aren't they showing more of that player? You know, so um, I, it was just, it was one of those days that um, was completely unexpected, but, uh, you know, you couldn't turn away. It was, it was just, it was must-see TV. So were you enjoying it just for the the mere entertainment of what you were watching or were you nervous? Because I was, I was on edge because I, I just wanted Phil to win so badly. I wanted him to pull this off. I didn't want it to get thrown away. We've seen Phil throw some tournaments away like the 2006 U.S. Open. I, I just didn't want him to do anything foolish and, and ruin this, and then Brooks just sort of runs away with it. So were you, were you right. sitting back and enjoying what you were watching? Or were you nervous at all for what, you know, because um, we never know what Phil's going to do. Yeah, that's for sure. And I guess, you know, and I hope this doesn't ruin our friendship um, going forward. But, you know, I, I, I'm I, not sure that it, it's, and I, and I, but to put this, you know, in a, in a kind way, you know, Phil, Phil's never been my favorite <laughs> player. So, um, I, but I'm just, I don't say that meaning I dislike him at all. I just, he's never been my favorite. I was surprised that, um, I think I watched the whole thing, um, pretty much expecting, even as it got down to 14, 15, 16, and 17, expecting something bad to happen and that, you know, that Louie was going to end up winning or somebody other than Phil was going to end up winning. And when Phil kept, you know, doing what exactly what he needed to do to maintain his lead or keep it going. And then finally, you know, you just sat there when he, you know, when he got it, on the green at 17 and you know you knew that the worst he was going to make was bogey it was like well this you know he's actually going to do this and i actually had to think back um we never i never produced a phil mickelson win he you know he just didn't it was kind of like tiger um 
you know, I was fortunate enough to produce one of Tiger's wins, the, uh, the Disney tournament that he won in 1996. Um, but then he stopped playing golf tournaments. You know, he stopped being in the field of the tournaments that the golf channel televised. So, and I never got to, uh, I never got to produce a Phil win, but I was the replay producer, uh, in 1991 for ESPN when Phil won, uh, the Northern Telecom Open at Star Pass in Tucson as an amateur. So I was there that day, that week in the truck. Um, and so I just thought back and I thought, my gosh, that, you know, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> and, and here is this guy. Who won as a kid, you know, he was a college student in 1991. And, you know, I was just, you know, fortunate enough to, to be, you know, to be there in person. And then here he is 30 years later winning a major championship. And, you know, at 50 years old, it's like, it's astounding. It's just, you know, you just, it's, it's something that is hard to put into, into words how, how incredibly, um, impressive that is that. You know, he's he's been so good for so long. Keith, I know, and you, you sort of alluded to this a moment ago, but I know you and our, our good friend Matthew Lawrence, so you guys often cringe when you're listening <laughs> to a TV broadcaster describe what's going on, describing the things that we can obviously all see because we're watching it on television. What are you screaming at the TV for them to do? Um, you know, I think it's more than anything else, I you know, I. I come from it, and and Matthew does too. And just because he's a he's a he's a veteran of the of the industry, not necessarily you know golf, but certainly of of you know film and television. But I you know I come to it. At least I I feel like I I come to it with some experience, having been in the truck for you know almost three decades. And you you know I just I can't help but watch golf. And think about how I would, you know, what would I be doing in that, in that circumstance? And like I said, for me, I was always, you know, I was always cognizant of showing as much golf as I possibly could. I mean, that was my one, that was kind of my mantra, uh, and our team was, you know, to show as many players as we could. You know, I didn't, I, I just couldn't bring myself to show guys just walking around or, you know, I made it a mission of mine to, you know, to show the the only tap in I ever wanted to show was the winner, the last putt on the 18th, on the 72nd hole, you know, to win the golf tournament. Because, you know, a, a professional golfer standing over a one foot putt is not compelling television. I mean, that, you know, you record it in case that one in a million chance that they miss it happens, but there's no reason to stay there and show it live when you can show another player hitting a, a full on golf shot. So I think I, you know, I kind of, lightly scream at the producer to show more golf. And then, you know, as you and I have talked about a number of times, uh, for the most part, announcers just drive me crazy in general. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know they're paid to talk, but, you know, it's like I wish that they would pay them not to talk quite so much. But um, that's, that's been a, a pet peeve of mine my entire career. And the people that I have been fortunate enough to work with and then some of them who might even say they were fortunate to work for or with me um, know that, you know, that's, that's one of my, my pet peeves. I wish I had a dollar for every time I said, be quiet to an announcer in the truck. <laughs> but, uh, 
that end, Keith, and you know I've had Ben Wright on the show many times, and and he's yeah. told the story about how you know producer Frank Turkinian used to you know scream in their ears to shut the f up. You know, even yeah. you know throughout the seventies and eighties when Ben worked for him, why why is that such a problem? You know, not not being able to be quiet is it the fear of the silence? Like we all okay. seem to have, if a conversation goes silent a little bit, we get we get uneasy, or is it a draw? I want to draw attention to myself. Why is that an issue? Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of all of that, and I also think that you know it's 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 an incredibly difficult sport. Um, from a production end, you know, as, as you know, it's, you know, it's spread out. The production is spread out over, you know, what, what is now almost 8,000 yards. Um, the, you know, communication is, you know, you're not looking at, you know, there, I'm not looking at my announcers, you know, I'm not, you know, there, there are the, the, the main announcers are in a booth or in a tri- uh, 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 tower you know, spread out on the last few holes of the golf course. When we did it, you know, our, our system was to have two announcers in the 18th, at the 18th green or in a booth near the 18th green and then two or three announcers that were out on the golf course. So, you know, the, the communication is they're wearing headsets and they can hear the broadcast, but they can hear the broadcast kind of, and they can hear me, but you know, there's a lot going on down there on the ground, especially in a crowd like there was at the PGA Championship. And, you know, I never produced a PGA Championship, but I produced some, you know, some pretty decent events. And and when the crowd gets roaring and the excitement gets going and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to hear. I think it's hard sometimes for the announcers to hear the broadcast in their headsets. And it's also hard for them to hear instructions from the producer or me or whoever it is that's trying to talk to them. So I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a conscious effort to, to, well, I think for some of them, it's a conscious effort that they, you know, it's like, here's my chance to say something and, you know, I'm going to get, especially now in the world of social media, I'm going to get, you know, get it retweeted and I'm going to have somebody remember this and it's going to go down as a, you know, a, 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 a thing that plays over and over again. And, you know, on people's phones or in people's tablets. But um, I just think that I think these guys, and I know I'm talking a lot now, which I, you know, shouldn't be doing and take my own <laughs> advice, but I think these guys, uh, you know, they're, 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 they were for the most part, great players or great caddies or, you know, have been really good broadcasters throughout their careers. And, that, you know, especially the players that have turned announcers or the caddies that have turned announcers, they have a lot of good stuff to say. So, you know, you kind of, when you're down there or when you're one of them or when you're talking, you know, when you're on the, on the golf course, you want to impart that information to the viewer. It's just that fine line between letting the moment play out, letting the, letting the, 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 the scene breathe and bringing in some insight. And, you know, there are, there are, quite frankly, there are very few that walk that fine line well. And, um, you know, you got to celebrate those folks when you find them. Keith, as we think about the four majors, there's something I was talking to Keith Jarvis at the top of the show about. When you look at those four majors, how do you rank them in terms of importance? <laughs> what's the, what's your favorite? What's the most important one, one through four? Um, 
geez, I know I listened to Keith's answer and, you know, I, I, um, I, I would, he approached it, you know, from a different set of, set of criteria. And I, I would, I would approach it from, you know, just being a fan and having played golf my entire life. And, um, I would, I think I would, I love the masters, um, as a, as a, as a, as a television spectacle, I think uh, my favorite it would be the U.S. Open. Um, I just, you know, it was one of those things growing up. That was the one that as the sun was setting and you're, you know, you're an eight year old kid at the local muni hitting putts as it's getting dark. And, you know, this five footer would be to win. The year. It would all, it would always be to win the U.S. Open. Um, I just think the national championship is, is, you know, the most important golf tournament that, that, uh, that professionals and amateurs um, ever get a chance to play in and, and to win a national championship would be, you know, kind of the, the ultimate. And then I would put the masters as like one, a um, followed, um, you know, the, the, I think the PGA, the PGA and the British open are also like, would be like, if I can just cheat and say two, two a for the British open and, and to be for the PGA championship and, and the British, I just say that only because it's a great, they're both great events. Um, I think the PGA championship is starting to go to maybe some, some better golf courses now. And the British open is so weather dependent that, um, you know, it sometimes can, to me, can, can, uh, you know, affect my enjoyment of the tournament and then the outcome of the tournament. So I think, I think I would put those just slightly behind the U S open and the masters. But I mean, you know, like Keith said, they are, you know, and there isn't a bad major. I mean, they're all amazing and awesome. <laughs> and, you know, you look forward to this. And I love the fact the way that they, they have scheduled them now with the PGA championship in May, I think it's been a great move. And, you know, you just look forward to that stretch that, that, you know, every three weeks or every, you know, once a month, there's going to be something great on TV in terms of golf. Keith, a couple of months ago, we were debating on Twitter about the two most influential golfers of all time. For me, it's Poppy Jones and Jack Nicklaus. I believe you said it was Arnold Palmer and Tiger Woods. Talk about why you chose those two. Um, I think that uh, for me, Arnold, and I think it's partly because uh, I, I picked Arnold because, um, you know, he was, he was, he was my major influence when I was growing up in the game of golf. He was, you know, it was like he was the most popular player by a long shot when I was starting to learn the game and, and starting to play the game and the most influential. And I think that as I look back and having had this unbelievable, and, and I know that that's a word that Keith said is should be stricken from the vocabulary. And I kind of agree with him, but I mean, I had the amazing, um, uh, uh, opportunity to spend time with Mr. Palmer, um, in the, in the 13, you know, through, through 2010, the 2000s, 1995 to 2000 when we were at the golf channel together. And, uh, even before that, when I was with ESPN golf and he was just such a, such an incredible person and such an influential person. And he brought the game, um, you know, to the masses thanks to the, Thanks to the advent of television and, and sports being on television. So I think that's, that's probably the main reason I picked Mr. Palmer. And then Tiger, I just think he transcended the sport. Um, as great as Jack is, 
you know, um, I just think Tiger just took it to the next level where, you know, he's responsible now for all the things that these guys are playing for in terms of money and in terms of prestige and, and the fact that he still, you know, we hope that he'll be able to come back from this latest, um, this latest accident and, and, and play again. But I mean, just, you know, that 2019 Masters victory was just, you know, something that you just, it, I, you get goosebumps still thinking about it. So I think that, you know, he influenced, he made the game, you know, just, just, it became a, a spectacle and, and, you know, you just, you couldn't turn away whenever he's playing. And still, for me, anyway, he's still, he's still the guy that if, He's playing on a Thursday or Friday. He's the group I want to watch. Keith, just a couple more before I let you go. And for those folks who don't know, your lovely wife, Sarah, is the CEO of the U.S. Olympic Committee. So how's she holding up, particularly <laughs> with the CDC placing their highest warning against traveling to Japan, yep. saying vaccinated people shouldn't even go? And here we are just a few weeks away from the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. I mean, she's talked about a roller coaster that Phil was on, that roller coaster that she's been on. It's been incredible. Um, she, you know, that was a bit of, that was a little bit of a blow that, that, uh, notice from the CDC and the State Department. But, um, you know, they're full speed ahead. They, the games are going to happen. USA is going to, uh, Team USA is going to, going to go and represent and, and, you know, win as many medals as they can. And she's, you know, she's, she's soldiering on. It's been a, it's been quite a ride and she's, um, you know, she couldn't be more excited and more thrilled to, you know, lead this delegation of athletes and coaches and trainers and all the folks that are going to, to Tokyo and at the end of July. And, um, you know, she's keeping her fingers crossed too, though, because, you know, you know, this whole pandemic thing has been a, a, you know, a kick in the pants to a lot of us for a long time. You know, just when you think maybe you're round in the bend, you're just afraid that that some bad news is just around the corner. So, but as of now, uh, you know, all all signs point point to go, and uh, Team USA is is going to be ready, and she's getting ready to go out over the next handful of weeks to uh, to a bunch of the trials around the country to watch and see who ultimately ends up uh, representing our country in in the Tokyo Games. So um, she's thrilled to be going and to head the contingent and you know i'll have to sit back here and watch and support her from however many miles away it is and, and watch everything on on nbc and the olympic channel and peacock and anywhere else i can get get to watch keith like i mentioned in your intro your uh, latest book murphy murphy was the book talk radio club book of the year huge congratulations like that, huh? to you on that that's got to make you feel good it was a complete surprise, and uh, I was thrilled when I heard the news. And you know, I, um, it's it's always nice when when somebody else recognizes your work and thinks it's worthy of 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 mention. So yeah, it's uh, it's something I'm really proud of. And um, you know, the book has has gotten a lot of good reviews, and uh, people seem to enjoy it. And I'm glad because you know, when I wrote it, it was you know, I I tried to make it. Uh, a little fun and a little unserious and, and, uh, I wanted it to be an enjoyable read. And it seems like from every, all the feedback that I'm getting so far that, uh, that people find it that way. But you gotta wait for Song Girl, Chris. It's coming out in the next 
probably the next month or so. The, the publisher has it right now, and uh, they're putting the finishing touches on it. And I, I'm hoping that uh, over the next uh, course of the next two or three weeks that we'll get a, a final proof and I'll get to approve it and we'll get it in the bookstores. And uh, you'll be interested, as I've told you before, that uh, there's a very uh, uh, important, influential character in the book named C.T. Mascaro. So you're going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to send you a copy of it and then I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait anxiously for your review. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to get it. I, you have, you have been great about sharing that with me and that's a, a huge honor and I can't thank you enough for, for thinking enough of me to make me a character in, uh, in your latest book or your upcoming book. For those that uh, that don't know, when you go in and you and you read Murphy Murphy, which is outstanding, and oh by the way, it's available as an audio book too. So if uh, if you're not a reader, but you but uh, you're gonna love this book because it's fantastic. You can on your commute go to Audible and uh, you can listen to the the book being read to you, which is which is awesome. And in there, you you've made characters of some other you know good friends of ours, Judith Coleman, Matthew Lawrence, who we've mentioned is is also a character in there, as is John McGinnis. So a lot of good friends are, are in that book. And uh, like I say, I'm privileged and honored that I'll be a part of the next one. So thank you very much for that, Keith. Well, I thank you, and I thank all those folks, too, because, you know, it's one of the it's one of the things that uh, that coming up with character names is, is not my strength. And so when it, when I, I always feel fortunate when I ask somebody that I know if I can borrow their name for a character in the book, they say yes. So. Um, you know, I try and uh, I try and make sure that I don't embarrass them too much. And I think again, you're gonna you're gonna like a lot about uh, this this mascara mascara character in in Song Girl. Um, so, you know, I thank you for allowing me to use your name, and I thank those folks too. And everybody's been really supportive as as I've you know embarked on this this uh, reimagining of my my career. So uh, I, I'm just I'm really having a ball with it. Keith, for our listeners that want to get a copy of your books and keep up to date with all the great things you're doing, let them know how they can do that. And, oh, by the way, read your blog, which is also fantastic, on your website, and then uh, keep up to date with you on social media as well. Ah, great. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, the website is KeithHersland, one word, KeithHersland.com, and all the books are there, and there are links on each of the books to to Amazon uh and Audible, where you can purchase the book. The blog is Cover Me Boys. It's at WordPress, and it's uh, it's um, www.covermeboys.wordpress.com. And uh, I, I occasionally opine there. Um, and again, I can't. Uh, I hope you'll let me give a shout out to the folks, my publisher, Beacon Publishing Group, because they've been fantastic, and and uh, I'm just so thrilled to you know to be part of their stable. And I'm on Twitter, uh, when my wife lets me be on Twitter at KHH author. And, uh, I mostly just read what everybody else writes, but every once in a while I'll chime in with something if I, if I think I can't, can't escape the conversation. <laughs> Keith, it's always a pleasure to uh, get to spend time with you. I always look forward to it because you're so much fun to talk with. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon, my friend. You're fantastic. I will come back anytime you ask, Chris. Thank you very much. And again, look, look for, we'll be in touch in between there, but look for, uh, look for a copy of Song Girl in the mail. I look forward to it very much. 
stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and Sarah and the rest of your family. And uh, like I say, we look forward to having you back on the show again soon. Thanks, Chris, and go Team USA. There you go. See you, Keith. That's the great Keith Hirschland, folks. H-I-R-S-H-L-A-N-D is the spelling of his last name. Every one of his books are fantastic. And, and you've heard me say this for years on this show. Cover me, boys. I'm going in. Tales of, Tales of the Tube from a Broadcast Brat is my favorite book of all time. Because A, Keith is a great writer. B, he tells great stories. And, it, and C, it gets you behind the scenes of what it's like, you know, putting together these broadcasts that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, different sports or it's uh, mostly about golf. And then you get to learn about Keith's family and then his upbringing in the game and his father who was, was involved in broadcasting as well. So that's my all-time favorite book, but the other ones are great as well. Big Flies, The Flower Girl Murder. And now Murphy Murphy in the case of Serious Crisis is A, a, a great read and B, they did a great job of, of uh, finding somebody that would do the book for Audible because not only did I read the book, I also listened to it as well, and uh, both things were very, very enjoyable. So uh, very much excited about Song Girl and seeing how that plays out. But he's a wonderful guy, and uh, hopefully we get to have him back on the show again soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Brian Jacobs, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance. From the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shield sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two under performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license brief. Okay, now next on the T with me and also making his ninth appearance on the show is Brian Jacob. Let me remind you about Brian's background. He earned his undergraduate and then his Master's of Education from State University of New York at Brockport. He became a PGA Assistant Director of Instruction at Ravenwood Golf Club up in Rochester, New York back in 2006, simultaneously becoming a staff instructor for Hank Haney Golf. In 2010, he became the Director of Instruction and a Hank Haney Certified Instructor at Irondequoit Country Club in Rochester. 2014, he became a Lead Instructor on the Golf Channel Academy. 2015, he started the Brian Jacobs Academy at Ridgemont Country Club, also up in Rochester. And two of the more recent accomplishments are he was named PGA Magazine Top 100 Instructor, and he won the PGA Development Award back in 2020. And I'm very excited he is back with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Brian, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, good. Uh, listening to Keith and Keith, and uh, wow, what two acts to follow? Two. I better step up my game here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and Keith Jarvis wanted me to pass along his hello book. to you. What's that? Oh, awesome. I said I need to be a character in a book. 
Not a comic yeah, book. Yeah, how though. about that? A real book. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Brian, I want to start off our time tonight. Uh, obviously, the main topic of the night has been Phil Mickelson's win on Sunday. What did you think about what you witnessed? I think it's awesome. Um, for the, I just think it's fantastic. I mean, uh, gosh, where do I start? Um, being an elder statesman myself, it's nice to see uh, how hard he's worked at his body um, and also uh, gaining subhead speed and competing. Um, and still, he's still being Phil, uh, which has been fantastic. Uh, I think he's just awesome for the game and, uh, and what an ambassador as well for the game. Uh, I think it's just, just wonderful, you know, what happened. And I'm so happy for him. I wish I knew him, uh, personally to send him a note and, um, you know, or shake his hand because I just think that's just phenomenal for the game. And I do think that, um, it's going to help us. Uh, grow the game, you know, with with people that are 50 and older, which I think is uh, a segment of the population that we need to address, you know, pretty seriously right now. And Brian, Keith earlier in the show talked about how, you know, anything is possible. We've learned that several times in the game of golf. We've seen it with Tiger in 2019 winning the Masters. We saw it with Jack back in 86 at the Masters. You go back to Ben Hogan in 1950 coming back from the, the horrible auto accidents that he was involved with. We, we've seen it so many times that things are possible through this game, and it inspires us. What do you think Bills win? Again, for those of us that are north of 50, do you think that's going to be an injection to people, and you know, instead of saying, hey, maybe I'm on the back nine? No, you know what? Maybe let me put pause on that. Maybe not so much. Right. No, I do think so. Um, I know for my own self, I just turned 60, and the last five years, I've really dedicated myself, you know, to my body and not that I haven't before, but just uh, speed training, over speed training, learning more about uh, this, this end of the game. And then also uh, the mental side of the game, obviously, even though I'm teaching all day long, uh, my playing as well has really improved as I've aged. I mean, I'm obviously better mentally now than I was when I was, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I'm more mature. I understand, uh, you know, when to live another day, um, and also, uh, not living and dying by shots. And, and I've always appreciated that about Phil. I think he's making wiser decisions now. Um, and I don't know if it's because he's older, uh, but he's certainly making wiser decisions. And I, and it's, it's fun to see that. Um, and obviously his talent level is, is off the charts. And so, um, I heard an, an interesting, um, interview this morning with Michael Breed and he had said, you know, that I think we're 35 years past Jack's win and he said I he felt like this was going to be exactly like that. One of the things that, you know, when I'm 80 years old in 20 years or uh, you know, or 85, I'm going to be talking to my grandchildren about Phil Nicholson's win at 50 years old and um, how great that was. And So I think it's one of those uh, points of light in the game going to go on for a long, long time. Brian, for those of us that have been watching Phil hit bombs, like he likes to say, off the tee over the last several years, but landing, you know, God knows where, right? He's hitting it all over the golf course. But then, you know, this past week, right, we saw him out driving the field, hitting fairways, that 366-yard drive he hit on 15, which is absolutely amazing and wonderful. And a lot of us are thinking, like, 
How did he do that? How does a guy 50 years old, almost 51, hit it like that? Now, I, I, you know, most of us will never have an idea of what that feels like. But for those of us that want right. to feel, hey, you know, hey, maybe I can get, you know, 10 yards longer, 15 yards longer, because Phil has gotten longer as he's gotten older. What are some things right. that, that the rest of us can do to maybe find 10 or 15 more yards in our drive? Well, well the really cool thing is, is we can learn speed. Our body can learn it. Our brains can remember it. Um, and so there's a number of, you know, devices that you can use out there. If you, first of all, I always, you know, recommend that you get an assessment. Um, I'm very fortunate. I have a great team, uh, you know, of, of health professionals along with coaching um, with me. So they'll do physical assessments on people. We'll get them training properly so they don't get hurt. And then we'll start to add speed training in along with, you know, stability and endurance and strength. And so there's these programs that you can go on. What will happen with a lot of people is is they'll start using these devices, um, you know, um, swinging a fan, a swing fan or something, you know, uh, with resistance and they won't have a protocol to follow and they, they won't see results. They don't test. Um, they don't get data. So for me, I test every Monday, um, you know, for swing speed. Um, and some people, their motor patterns or their patterns don't move well enough to do non-dominant swing versus their dominant swing and they cause injury. And, and so we always want to start with an assessment. And then from that point on, um, that's not my expertise, that space. So I refer them into one of my teammates and they work with them. Uh, with the student and they just keep me in the loop onto what's happening. And, um, and then obviously we use TrackMan, right? So, uh, we see ball speed go up. We see swing speed go up. Uh, we see more center face contact with the student and they're hitting bombs. That's kind of how it works. Pretty cool. Brian, I've got, uh, my annual uh, trip with my buddies coming up here in a couple of weeks and, I need your help because one shot that I've never been able to figure out and play well is from a green side bunker. I'm either thinning it and it's going way over the green into, you know, God knows where, or I'm fatting right. it and it just stays in the bunker. What are some things? What's, is there a simple thing that I can keep in mind when I'm in the bunker to, to at least just get it out and onto the green? Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing is not to panic when you get in there. It's, uh, you may hear it a lot with even high-level players. They'd rather be in a bunker than, you know, being deep rough for the cabbage around the green. So, um, and they're very good at understanding how to use the bounce of the golf club or the release. So we want to be able to set up properly, have the ball more forward in our posture. Um, and it requires speed. So I teach my students kind of a, a cool method. We use live board. You just put a live board in, hit the board a few times with the bounce put a pile of sand on it, hit the sand off the board, put a ball on top of the sand, hit the sand and the board, and the ball goes off, and then move the board out of the way and then, you know, hit the sand. It trains you how to use the bounce. Um, while, you're, while you're learning that, you start to decompress a little bit and not panic as much and understand that the major goal is to get it out of the bunker. Um, and it's an area where people don't practice very often at all. I mean, my academy has a dedicated bunker and, you know, I'm the only one that uses it <laughs> to go in with students. Nobody else uses it. 
uh, that's open to the public. And we have bunkers all over the golf course, fairways and greenside, and they're deep and fluffy, and people just don't practice it. That's why they panic. They're not prepared. So let's back up from the green a little bit. You know, we get those awkward bunker shots sometimes where we're 30, 40, 50 yards off the green, and now we've got to hit a longer bunker shot. How is that different, and what's that technique and setup like? Well, I think we have to pay attention to the sand first. Is it, you know, deep and soft, or is it firm? Uh, So we try to approach it just like a normal shot for our athletes. Uh, You get in. Um, not necessarily dig in like in a greenside bunker. You would dig in a little bit and then shorten your hands down. Uh, so if you go an inch into the sand with your feet, you go an inch down on the club. Uh, typically, we try to stay on top of the substrate a little bit more. And we just want to use speed and square the face and just hit it like it's a normal pitch shot. Um, we might use the dig a little bit more uh, than the bounce. We want people to get in there and, and uh, just, Again, not to panic and just say, look, this is just a standard pitch shot that I'm going to hit. Um, if it's the 40-yard shot, we want to feel like we're going to hit it about 60 yards. And uh, we just get through it, and the athletes do really, really well. Let's talk chipping a little bit, Brian. And let's say we're you know, right near the green. Maybe we're 5 yards, 10 yards off the green. And mm-hmm. many of us have the same sort of issues, trouble chunking that shot, or we come off it, we thin it, and the ball scurries all the way across the green and into trouble. Walk us through what that chip shot should look like. From club selection, are you, uh, you know, hey, maybe I hit a 7 or a 9 or a pitching wedge. Do you like the same uh, same club every time? And then what's our stance, ball position, weight distribution, you know, all that like so we hit a good shot? Yeah, I think, I think first of all, um, we need to understand a chip slow shot, so 90 on the ground and 10% in the air. So um, I have no uh, loyalty towards any club as long as it gets the job done. They're all tools and they can be used, you know, if we're in the rough or in the fringe, could dictate definitely uh, what club we're going to use. But in general, uh, we teach the students that there's a, a line directly through the golf ball. And if the shaft sits above that line on top of it and above it, then we're going to have a low shot. So the ball will go more in our uh, posture. It'll go back farther. And we use our shoulders as an indicator. So if you were to have a logo on, uh, assuming a right-hander, uh, a logo on your right chest, that's where the ball position would be. And as soon as you start to move in close to the club, because it's vertical, um, it just makes natural sense to let the call, club uh, shaft lean a little bit more forward. Uh, one thing we do teach the students is to uh, take the hands a little bit more out of the shot. So we'll have them feel like their elbows are very close to their sides, or, you know, close to their body. And we want to see their chest rotate a little bit more uh, back and through. So the club position, as far as the shaft lean, doesn't change. Uh, what will happen in a lot of cases is the athlete will add loss you know, at the bottom of the of the shot, and that'll cause the ball to do all kinds of fun stuff. You'll chunk it, and or you'll spin it, you know, or you'll pop it up. And so we want to see that consistent chest movement. And that's one thing people don't learn when they chip. A lot of times, they just kind of hit down on it, and then they they don't move. Uh, so chipping requires movement, just like a full shot would. Um, and I tell my students 
too, that no rough around the green is going to be any match for your chest moving, you know, or for your body moving. It's not, it won't, you know, so they can be confident in the shots they hit and, uh, they do very, very well. And so we spend a lot of time exploring, you know, what club works best for them, you know, out of a certain lie, they they'll have a certain myth and how do we, you know, what club do we want to use? So I bring your seven, bring your eight, bring your nine, bring your pitch, bring your slob. Um, and we'll figure out which one is best for us. So student A might use, you know, 58 degree wedge and student B might use a pitching wedge and they're both effective. Brian, you mentioned being in the rough and we saw the guys last weekend have a lot of shots from deep rough. So. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how to get out of the rough. If we find ourselves in the tall grass, let's say maybe, oh, I don't know, 150 yards or so away from the hole, what things do we need to consider when we're trying to hit that shot and keep it on the green versus, you know, bouncing and it runs and it's now, now we're finding ourselves in a chipping situation because we've, we've flown the green and now we're in trouble. Right. Well, I think the golf course that I'm at, we have fescue, so it's really, really high, high rough. Um, it's very, very difficult when you get it off the fairway. And so uh, most people recommend wedge it sideways. Well, it's not practical. Sometimes you have to take a look at it. And we do a lot of prediction in golf. Uh, you know, how much grass is on the hosel of the club, how much is on the toe, what's in front of the golf ball, what's behind it. Sometimes you have no options. Sometimes you just have to go with what, what the rough gives you. But other times you can can actually get that out and use it to your advantage. Uh, for example, if you're in the rough and you have a little bit of a, a downhill and, and the green is away from you a little bit, you might be able to uh, take a little uh, left loft and, you know, maybe wedge it out or hit a nine iron out and it might roll and uh, you get it up in front of the green. Um, so we have to predict, you know, how it's going to come out and then uh, also pay attention to, the ball position in our posture, you know, is it back, is it forward, is it in the middle? Um, so there's a lot of factors that are involved with it as you look at it rather than just, um, wow, where's the ball? I'm lost. Uh, I don't know what to do. So we try to get, um, try to teach the player that, look, it's okay to miss, just miss short, miss in a good spot if you're going to miss, and then we'll get it up and down from there and, get out of there with the par and we'll move on, you know, to another day. Um, most amateurs will try to make that one in a million shot and they, you know, they leave it in the rough and now they're in trouble. Speaking of going on trips, I know the last couple of years you've taken a group of people down to Bay Hill. Uh, I think you, did, yeah. you just did that again recently. Talk about what those experiences sure. have been like. It's been great. Uh, this year we had 22 uh, students come down, uh, friends and uh, Brian Jacobs golf and students. And it was awesome. We had people from all over the country come in and, uh, it was great. We played four different venues. Um, and obviously the crown jewel was playing at Bay Hill. And, and the fun thing is, is, uh, 90% of the group never played there. And so, uh, we played the, the tournament course. And then we also played their little course, the charger. Every day. And it was phenomenal. Uh, the guys had so much fun. The resort was just phenomenal. The service was, you know, second to none. 
Um, we had a little snafu with our flight. Uh, I got stuck in Baltimore um, for about nine hours. They had thunderstorms. So two people in the whole group got in and everybody else was, you know, they couldn't get into Florida. And then when we got there, there were no rental cars. And, but everybody forgot after about the first 10 hours, you know, once they got out on the golf course, it was just kind of, uh, you know, life on the course. It was, it was awesome. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm actually doing a small trip here, uh, next week to Kohler. So I'm going to meet a couple students there and, uh, spend just two days, so four rounds in two days and just really looking forward to it. I really enjoy, um, being with my students, you know, traveling and just seeing a different side of them rather than just on the lesson tee. So Brian, I got to ask you the question when you're down at Bay Hill. Did you uh, drive it across the lake on six like Bryson DeChambeau did? I did not. Uh, one of our, in our group uh, from Abilene actually did. He headed across. Took him wow. four, though, when he did it. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Now, we weren't playing the, you know, the tour tees, but we were playing the, well, he was playing the more four, uh, the middle tees. Um, he smashes it. And so he, he said, I've been, this is the only reason I came on this trip. And I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, I thought it was, you know, because of me. And he's like, well, no disrespect. I go, it's too late, you know. You know, kind of like people say, well, you know, not to be offensive, and then you know you're going to get offended. Um, so he uh, he hit one, and he kind of just hooked it a little bit, and it almost made it. And the next one he hammered, and it was it was well over. And so and he's like, Bryson who? You know, and I'm like, well, uh, dude. Look about 70 yards back, and that's where he hit it from. So, so we didn't want to minimize his accomplishment, but after he was rude to me, I felt like I needed to stick a fork in him a little bit. So, <laughs> but it was great. And then, uh, we said, well, look, your first one doesn't count. You can, you can play that one. And then he proceeded to make a, you know, a bogey from, you know, where he was. And I'm like, if I was that close, I would be making an eagle, you know. And so just, but, but at dinner, I mean, he was the king, man. We just, you know, got him a Bay Hill Hummer and piece of cake. And I mean, he just it was a ball and he's actually going to color as well. So he's, he's a ton of fun. Um, I've played with him a couple of times on uh, various trips and he hits it in places you wouldn't, couldn't imagine. And you won't see him for 10 minutes. And then there he is on the green. And they're like, Oh, are you? Still playing golf with us, and it's like, yeah, I was up on the <laughs> hill over here and looking at the sheep, and you know, so so he's wow. he's a lot of fun. He he hits it a mile, so um, just just a ton of fun. Great, and there's so many characters, you know, in this game, and I just enjoy uh, so much uh, when he's on trips. He's just a lot of laughs. Brian, just a couple more before I let you go. And sure. Hal Sutton put out a tweet a few days ago asking. If you could have a great mental game or a great swing, which one would you choose? I know you how said I responded. mental game for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you said mental Absolutely. game for sure. Why? Um, we're just seeing it a lot with, uh, I, I could share even today. I had a real challenge. You know, there's, we have so many talented people that can't, that can't or won't think, you know, and their attitudes are so, um, rigid as far as like, this is the timeline and this is how it should go. And how everything should be um and it's just not how it is i mean they have beautiful golf swings you know my swing is beautiful i hit it great why can't i 
who are, well, how do you think? You know, and they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, I hear you mumbling when you hit a four shot, when you don't hit it perfect. You know, and I said, do you think you're going to hit it perfect every day? Well, yeah, I should. I mean, I, I shot, you know, even par the other day. And then I shot 78. And I'm like, okay. And then you shot 68 the day after. It's a difference. Well, it's my ball striking. Is it? Or is it your thinking? You know, like, how did you feel? Well, the day I shot 78, I was rushed. You know, I didn't get a chance. Okay, well, here's the thing. You have to be able to control your environment a little bit better. So you either have to insulate yourself, which is literally impossible from the outside world. And that's what I appreciated about guys like Jack Nicholas. He and Tiger, they just can insulate themselves or could insulate themselves just from what was going on around them so well. Um, I always felt like their strongest attribute, you know, regardless of their talent, was how mentally strong they were, how they were just going to will things to happen. Um, you know, and that's, that's a real gift, I think. But it, and I also feel that it can be learned at a lot of levels. I'm teaching a young man that's just incredibly talented, but his attitude is turd, you know, and, and he's just being very, very good at what he does. Everything, school, you know, everything. And, but golf is, is, um, very difficult for him mentally. And when he doesn't play well, he disengages really quickly. Like, well, you're going to stop playing. You're just going to quit. He's like, well, why? I go, because you don't have any fun. <laughs> you know, it's a game. <laughs> so I think, you know, when I'll put that out, I jumped on it right away. I just think we just need to develop uh, more um, mental attributes. We need to be stronger, uh, you know, and we also need to be incredibly resilient and forgiving. You know, we have show ourselves a lot of mercy and a lot of patience in this game or otherwise we just give up too hard. Brian, before I let you go, I, we obviously got to discuss your Buffalo Bills. Your boys beat yeah, my boys yes, the Steelers last season and we start yeah. this upcoming season against one another again. How do you feel about the Bills draft, what they've done over the offseason and uh, can they get over the hump against the Chiefs this year? Yeah, I feel good. Uh, I just played golf with a bunch of them yesterday. So Mitchell Trubisky was up and uh, Jordan Devy, who they just signed. So he's a good locker room guy as well. Great, great, phenomenal lineman. Uh, Chiefs and, and um, Patriots and Raiders. Uh, and so Dawson Knox, Dave Davis, Ike Bucker. So I said, well, you know, I try not to talk about it too much. And they're ready. You know, they have, they're at OTAs. So I think. I think there are voluntary 70 guys came up, which is, is pretty good. That means they're, they're kind of on a mission, you know, to make this thing happen. And, and, um, it's interesting, you know, they're, they're upbeat and positive and, and they're ready to roll. So it'll be interesting. They've added, I think, some good pieces in the draft and I don't think they're done yet, you know, with, with, uh, free agency. Um, you know, I think they'll make some trades probably and, and, uh, you know, try to get some bargain, bargain one year guys. Um, and Josh Allen obviously is, is just progressing so well. And uh, he's a great kid too. Like he's just, they're so happy that they're winning. And, and so who knows what'll happen. They, they put it on Pittsburgh pretty good. So I'm hoping, hoping it'll be, you know, a close game this year. 
Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and uh, be a part of the show. You're fantastic as always, my friend. It's always a real treat to get to spend time with you. Thanks, Chris. I enjoy it as always and happy to come on anytime. This is one of my favorite interviews to do with you and, and, uh, I'm good for 20 more times at least. <laughs> I appreciate that very much, my friend. You're the best. Remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. Yeah, BrianJacobsGolf.com uh, is my website, and uh, at BrianJacobsGolf on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a YouTube channel now, too, where I have my content up, and, and that's uh, at BrianJacobsGolf as well. And try to keep it consistent so I can remember everything. Um, but uh, there's some <laughs> good content on there, and we're starting to pick up followers. And, and uh, if anyone has questions or, or uh, you know, wants to subscribe, I always answer. They can send videos. and and I'll uh, assess them and, and uh, get them on the right path. You're the best, my friend. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Look forward oh, to catching well. up with you again soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Yep, be safe and uh, be well, and, and uh, congratulations on all your success. I appreciate you very much, Brian. Same to you. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. You as well. That's a great Brian Jacobs. Brian Jacobs golf all over the place. Uh, to stay up to date with the great content that Brian is putting out. And that offer to send him a video of your swing, I would take him up on that because, like I say, he's one of the very best instructors in the game. Again, PGA Magazine Top 100 PGA Development Award for 2020. It's hard to come uh, any better than that. So you get an offer from Brian to send him a video, please take him up on that. Let him do an assessment of you and where you're at and what uh, what could help you get to uh, whatever the next threshold is for you. Trying to break 100, trying to break 90, trying to break 80, whatever it is, Brian's the guy that can help you do it, and uh, and he's a, just a wonderful human being on top of that, and I certainly hope my Steelers put it on him this year. I don't know if you guys remember, but I had to wear a, a Buffalo Bills jersey and put it out on social media after they uh, beat my boys last year. So I'm hoping very much to see Brian in a Steelers jersey out on uh, social media come a little bit later on this September. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, I want to let you know the tickets are on sale now for the Tour Championship here in Atlanta at Eastlake Golf Club. The tournament's going to be held September 2nd through 5th. And folks, Eastlake is one of the most prestigious and beautiful golf clubs in the country. If you've never been to the tournament, you're going to be wowed by the course, the amenities, and how well you're treated there. Go online to tourchampionship.com to get your tickets today to watch the top 30 players on tour this season decide who will be the FedEx Cup champion and who walks away with the $15 million first place check. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Keith Jarvis, Dr. Bob Jones, Keith Hirschland, and Brian Jacobs for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, who will be back. We'll get a return visit from four-time winner on the PGA Tour, Chip Beck. One of the best U.S. kids instructors on the planet, along with guest tonight, Keith Jarvis, and an- another wonderful person. On top of that is Michelle Holmes. Really excited to have Michelle back on the show. Then we'll round out the show with another one of the top instructors in the game. Jim McLean will also be here. So, folks, another great show on tap for you again next week. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great podcasting sites and apps like Podcast.co, 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Player.fm, Odyssey, Amazon Music. We are all over the place. So if you've got a favorite podcasting app, just go to the search bar and type in Next on the T. I bet you'll find us on there as well. And folks, if you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show and their Hot 50 list. When you're on their site, just click Hot 50 that you're going to find at the top. And then you're going to get a drop-down list, which includes Hot 50 voting. Please click on that. And then just type in the name of the show and my name, Chris Mascaro, as host. I'd really appreciate your support. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I know you've got a lot of golfing content out there that you can listen to. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of it. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.